it's really great to be back with you guys again this sun- Sunday. Uh, it's crazy how fast summer is going. I only have one more Sunday left here, and that's it. Yep, only one more Sunday. A couple weeks ago, I made a very uh, bold statement about the the Dark Knight movie, and I, I claimed I'm an MCU guy, but I made a very bold statement about you know the DC Dark Knight, and I got some backlash from that, just so you know. So today, as to start off my sermon, to show you I really am a, a Marvel Cinematic Universe guy, I'm going to tell you a story about one of the, the actors in the MCU. Uh, his name was Robert Downey Jr., I'm sure many of you have heard his name. Uh, early in his career, Robert was very, very successful with several hit movies in the 80s. But it, with that success, he also earned him a spot on Saturday Night Live. But early in his life, at the age of six, Robert was exposed to drugs. His father, very much a heavily user of illegal substances. And from a young age, that was how little Junior... Uh, bonded with his father through drugs. But that that problem, that addiction, stuck with him through much of his adult life after his father had passed and after he became a successful actor. It stuck with him. He would go through the consistent cycles. He'd get really, really stoned day after day, night after night, then briefly change just long enough to act in a very successful movie, and then he'd go back to getting stoned again. Into the cycle, having all over and over and over and over. Robert hit his lowest point in the late 90s when he was arrested on site for storing cocaine and heroin in his car. And not, not just a little bit, but quite a bit in his car. Got him to jail for a few years. During that time, his, his first wife left him, taking their kid. He hit rock bottom there. And shortly around the time the 2000 hit, Danny's junior, or Danny Jr.'s life was still a little rocky. But shortly before 2008, a couple years before 2008, something really changed for RDJ. He was more determined than ever to quit drugs and get his life back on track. He actually sought professional help and tried to get better, not just temporarily change. In 2007, Robert met a girl who would later become his second wife and the wife he still has to this day. In 2008, he uh, starred in his probably most successful character ever, Iron Man, which, which eventually led to a 10-movie contract making him over millions and millions of dollars and made him the face of probably the most successful box office movie ever, Avengers Endgame. He got to the point where he was so successful he could make a 15-minute appearance in one movie and get paid $15 million for just the 15 minutes he made. Robert Downey Jr. didn't let his past determine the outcome of his life. Something changed for him. Today we are starting a brand new sermon series, and we're going to learn about Saul and how his life changed from the persecutor of Pharisee to God's chosen instrument to bring the word of God to the Gentiles. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look into the transformation from Saul to Paul. Today, we're going to be in Acts 9, 1-19. This is where we really see Saul, or Saul's story really take off 
Acts 1, or Acts 9, 1 through 19. You guys want to turn there? I'm going to retell the story for you guys. Saul, not long ago from this passage here, was the leader in the stoning of Stephen. And now he got his, uh, his taste for Christian persecution. He was hooked on it. He was now uttering merciless threats against the Christians. He was passionate about his beliefs as a Pharisee and of the Jews. There was going to be nothing in his way to stop him. The church was scattering from Jerusalem because of the persecution that started with Saul. Now Saul went to the high priest and requested an executive order letter that was addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, insisting they aid Saul in all of his ways to bring in and persecute the rebels of this new way. Now, with his executive order, Saul and, and a few men packed up for their journey to Damascus, about a 150-mile journey one way. Now, while nearing close to Damascus in the Syrian desert, suddenly a bright light shone around Saul. It must have been a really bright light since they're in the desert, which is already a, a pretty bright place as it is. But a bright light shone upon Saul. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He replies. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men who saw were scared. And these guys were probably not small, frail associates of Saul. Now these guys were probably some big hired bruisers to do Saul's dirty work for him in Damascus. These are not small dudes, and yet they were scared out of their minds. When Saul got up from the ground, he opened his eyes, but he saw nothing. Nada. Not a thing. He was blind. His hired companions had to lead him into the city of Damascus by hand. And they found a place to crash, and Saul fasted from food and water for three days. Now, in the city of Damascus, there was a Christian by the name of Ananias. This is a different Ananias than the one that, that dropped dead in front of Peter for lying. The Lord called out to him in a vision. Visions appear to be pretty popular in Acts, if you haven't noticed. The Lord told Ananias, There is a man named Saul from Tarsus that is staying in the house of Judas, and even gave him an address. Saul has a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him. So Ananias is already locked into this favor for God. Ananias replies back to God, Lord, I have heard of this man Saul, and all the torture he has put your people through down there in Jerusalem. He also has this executive order to arrest all the Christians here in Damascus. But the Lord chirped back to Ananias, Go anyways, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take the message to the Gentiles, to kings and to Israelites alike. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Apparently that, that convinced Ananias. So Ananias took the street address, put it in his GPS, and went and visited Saul. When he arrived, Ananias laid his hands upon Saul and said to him, Brother Saul, Lord Jesus, who has appeared to you on the road, sent me so that you may have your sight back and be filled with the Holy Spirit. In that moment, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and regained his sight again. And before eating or drinking, after his fasting, Saul got up from that place 
where he was staying, and he was baptized. Then he came back to eat and drink, and stayed with the believers in Damascus. Jesus saves. As we begin to analyze this passage in this series about Saul slash Paul, we are going to dive deep into this passage of this story about Saul. I want us to paint a very clear picture of who Paul was before Jesus saved him. What we're going to see here is that the Jews and the Christians had very different views of Saul at this point. But Jesus saved Saul all the same and used him to share the word. As we look at Saul's life before Jesus, we're going to see some parallels to our own lives. Everyone needs a little grace. So the first thing I want to do today is look at who is Saul. Let's see him, who he was before he was the determined persecuting Pharisee. So let's turn to Philippians 3. Philippians 3, 4 through 6. It'll also be on the screen as well. Philippians 3, 4 through 6 reads like this. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could indeed, if others have reasons for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised on the, as I was eight days year old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who determined the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as far as righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. In the eyes of the Jews, Saul was perfect. This passage is Paul talking about himself later in life as Saul. He said that if anyone had confidence in the flesh, confidence in their own efforts to save them, it was he. He could have done that. He was a perfect Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Acts 22, 3-5 also recounts the words of Paul talking about himself before Jesus. Acts 22, 3-5. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Sicily, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. And, his, and as his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I was persecuted, and I persecuted the followers of this way, hounding some of them to death, arresting both men and women, and throwing them into prison. The high priest of the whole council of elders can testify of this. I received letters from our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of this way from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. Saul was this man who was, he was born of uh, he was a Jew born in Tarsus, and tell you, Tarsus is very very far from Jerusalem. He was born a Jew into a Greek city. He was circumcised on the eighth day, and not at 13 years old, like some other traditionalists, the Edomites. He also had Roman citizenship. He was raised and educated in Jerusalem, studied at the feet of Gamaliel, a Pharisee. He was the one who, who advised the council in Acts 5 to not kill the apostles. It was a great honor to study under this Pharisee, under this teacher of the law. He was well-known and had great honor. Saul knew the Jewish law nearly perfect. And he was a zealous follower of it. He was the Hebrew of all Hebrews. You're going to hear that phrase a lot. Hebrew of all Hebrews. That's who he was. 
If there's anyone who could have earned their way into heaven, it could have been Saul. It would have been Saul. But we soon learn here from Saul that confidence in the flesh can't save you. This reminds me of, of a story I read once. A, an active, dedicated, hard-working church member dreamed that he, he had passed away. And after a, a long, satisfying life, and when he approached the heavenly gate, he noticed a sign posted right there outside the pearly gate. And it said, entrance requirements, 1,000 points. The man looked at the sign, and he, he, he was a bit worried about that. He, he, he told the, the angel guarding there, that seems like a, a really high requirement. I don't know if I can, I, I can accumulate that many points. Well, the angel kindly replied, well, tell me what you've done, and I'll tell you how many points you've earned. So this, this Christian man starts off, okay, uh, I was a immersed believer in Christ for 32 years. I taught Sunday school class for over 12 years. I was a youth chaperone whenever it needed me. That was, that's a big one. I was a regular member of the church choir. And the was, that's wonderful. Now let me see, that's worth one point. The man suddenly got very, very pale and began to sweat. And he went on, well, um, uh, I tithe on all of my income. I, I sometimes even gave more than that. I also served as an elder of the church, and I served on the finance committee and the building committee. I attended every workday at the church. I even mowed the grass and did repairs and painted the church. At every fellowship supper, I helped set up the chairs and tables and stayed late after to take them down. He looked at Angel expecting more points, and he smiled. And the angel, wow, that's great. That's another point. The man looked like he was about to go into shock. He spoke more faster and, and desperate attempts to get more points. I, I invited a lot of people to church. I often went calling with the preacher as well. I, I won quite a few people to Christ. I even supported the camp nearby and was a 40 agent for a missionary family. I never achieved my income tax. And the angel spoke encouragingly. That's quite a record of good works. Another point. You have a total of three. The man's face is sagged. It was, he seemed to have resigned his fate. He goes, well, I, I may as well give up. I don't think I can ever be good enough to get into heaven. It seems impossible for anyone to get into heaven without the grace of God. Angel looks at him and goes, ah, did you say grace? Now grace is worth a thousand points. Now, the eschatology of this uh, story here is, is not exactly accurate, but it, it paints a picture for us. Saul, in all of his Jewish greatness, couldn't earn himself a ticket into heaven. He was like the man in the story. He had, seemed to have this nice, long resume of all the things he was and all the good things he did. But it amounted to nothing. It's because of Jesus that Saul was saved. Nothing to his own accreditation. Philippians 3, 7-9, reads like this. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I can gain Christ, become one with him, I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends 
on faith. Jesus saves, not confidence in the flesh. Paul said it best. Everything else is worthless compared to the value of knowing Jesus. <clears throat> I'm sure many of us know people who have this belief that all they must do to go to heaven is play nice with others and do good works. And that's all they need. Well, I'm, I'm here to say that isn't the case. It's through Jesus that we are saved. That is what happened for Saul in Acts 9. So we put our comments in the flesh, and we are hearing this message now. What is keeping you from choosing grace? Charles Spurgeon, in his book, All of Grace, recorded this story here, I'm about to tell you. A man visited a woman he knew to be in great financial need. He visited with, with, with a generous gift to help her out with her expenses. He knocked at the door, but no one came to the door. The, the woman inside, with, with the need, hid when she heard the knocking and didn't answer the door. So, so the next weekend at church, the, the man comes in and approaches the woman and goes, you know, I, I came and I knocked at your door and, and no one was home. I was going to help you out. She goes, oh, I heard that knocking. I thought it was my landlord coming to collect my rent and I didn't have the money for it. I could not pay let that story settle in. Because of fear, the woman didn't open the door to the helpful man because she thought it was her landlord. How often is Jesus like that helpful, generous man? He brings this, this gift of grace to us. And we choose not to have it. There is nothing that we can do to earn our own salvation. We are like that broke woman in the story. We try with our actions to make restitution for our souls. We just can't pay the price. Let's open the door to Jesus because he can save us. Now, we just looked at the, the viewpoint of Saul from the Jews. Let's look at him the viewpoint from the Christians. Acts 8, 1 through 3. We see Saul appear here. Acts 8, 1 and 3. Saul was a great was one of the witnesses, sorry, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely to the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began the day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered to the region of Judea and, Jum and Samaria. Drop down to verse 3. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. And he went from house to house, dragging both men and women to throw them into prison. Saul, to the Christians, was a persecutor. He had a terrible past. Here, and we come in, in the verse, in the Acts 9, our, our main passage, we see Paul is playing a persecution trip to Damascus. Acts 9, 1 through 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. And he went to the high priest and requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Saul was a murderer. He was a zealot terrorist before Islam popularized it. This is who Saul was. <clears throat> a persecutor of the way. A persecutor of Christians. And especially in the eyes of the early Christians, Saul had one of those life stories that you just don't come back from. Kind of like 
Robert Downey Jr. This is who Saul was, a horrible, evil person, a misguided zealot. How do you come back from that? How do you change your life with that kind of history? I am reminded when I think of this, a story from a Max Lucado book, The Gift of All People. This call, he calls the story in the book Cinderella Grace. He tells the story. And Cinderella's castle, Disneyland, was packed with all kinds of kids and parents. It was like this always. And suddenly, all the children rushed to one side of the castle. It was a good thing the castle wasn't a boat, because it would have tipped over. And there entered the room the pristine princess. She was a gorgeous young girl with hair in place, flawless skin, and a beaming smile. She stood there waist deep in a sea of children all around her, trying to reach out, trying to touch her, trying to be touched and hugged by Cinderella. The opposite side of the building of the castle was nearly vacant, except for one boy, maybe seven or eight years old. It was hard to determine his age because of his disfigurement. He was dwarfed in height and his face deformed, and just stood there quietly and wistfully, holding the hand of his older brother. Did you know what he wanted? He wanted to be with those children, calling out for Cinderella, reaching for Cinderella, that she might just give him a hug. He longed to be in the middle of those children. But he feared yet another rejection. He had a fear of being taunted again, being mocked again. He wished that Cinderella would just come to him. And she did. She noticed the little boy across the, the castle. He immediately began walking his way, politely but firmly inching her way through the sea of children, right to him. And when she finally broke free, she, she knelt down at eye level to him. The boy was shocked. And he gave her a hug. And she gave him a little kiss on the cheek. He was shocked. The question before that story was, how do you change your life with such a bad history? Do you want the, the real answer to that question? How do you change your life with such a bad history? The answer is, you don't. You don't. But Jesus can. Jesus is the one that saves. Jesus is like Cinderella. It's a weird comparison, but Jesus is like that Cinderella. Pushes through the crowd to you. He is the one that does all the work and extends the hand to you. He chose to be sacrificed on the cross to save all of you. He pushed through the crowd to you. Acts 9 through the 6, we see the rest, some more of Paul's, of Saul's story, should I say, Saul's story. 3 through 6. And he was approaching Damascus on this mission. And then a light from heaven suddenly shone around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city where you'll be told what you must do. And later, Ananias came to care his blindness. And, Chal and, and Saul chose right then to let Jesus save him. Acts 9.18. Instantly, something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. And then he got up and was baptized. How do you change your life with a bad history? You don't. But Jesus does. 
It doesn't matter what your past looks like. It doesn't matter what your bad history is. It doesn't have to discredit you from God's grace. Your past may look similar to Paul or Robert, really, in our story. Your past may look very, very different from theirs. But it doesn't have to hold you back. Stop letting it hold you back. Jesus changed Saul's life. Let him change yours. Today, we look at two very vastly different sides of who Saul is. It's going to help us with the rest of our series as we grow to learn more and more about this, this person of Saul. Both views of Saul, the view of the Jews and the view of the Christians, were both Saul. They were both him. He was the critically acclaimed scholar and Pharisee, the one who thought he could earn his way to his eternal reward. But Saul was also the murderous persecutor of the Christians. They were both Saul. But because of Jesus, that's not the same character we read about in the rest of Acts. It's not the same reputation that, that Saul became Paul and did his life with. As we, as we take this message and look at it in the scope of our own lives, Jesus saves both ends of the spectrum. He can save those who put confidence in their own effort, who puts confidence in their own flesh. He can also save those of us who have that history. He can save everyone in between. There is a, a, a quote that I, I took notice of when I was visiting uh, Auburn Church of Christ. Andy Grimes spoke this quote, and it just stuck with me. He said, If you think that God can't forgive you, you are giving yourself too much credit. Because Jesus can save everyone. Look at Saul. Saul was not the one you would expect to come back from that kind of story, to come back from that kind of life. But Jesus saved him. And he can save you too. You have to choose to let him change your life. How do you do that? You maybe ask yourself, how, how do I let Jesus save? How do I let Jesus change my life? 1 Peter 3, 18-21 reads this. Christ suffered for all our sins for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. So he went and preached the spirits in prison. Those who disobeyed God long ago, when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat, only eight people who were saved drowned that terrible flood. And the water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. Not the removal of of dirt from the flesh, but a response from God, a clean conscience that's effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you are here today and you don't have, have that same faith, you have not realized that Jesus can save you despite whatever's going on in your life. He can because Jesus saves. Let's stand in the sink.